He said to me, Mortal, can these bones live? I answered, O Lord God, you know. May Jesus Christ be praised and glorified both now and unto the ages of ages. Amen. In 1934, a Kansas native named Claire Harner published a poem entitled Immortality. If you've been to enough funerals, you've probably heard or at least seen it. It often gets printed on those prayer cards that get distributed at the funeral home. And while Harner's inspiration for writing the poem is poignant, she apparently wrote it after the sudden death of her brother, And while I am sure it has brought people a measure of comfort at profoundly difficult moments in their lives, I have to admit that I do not care for this poem. It is narrated from the perspective of someone who has died, and it begins, Do not stand at my grave and weep. I am not there. I do not sleep. The poem goes on to indicate all of the places where the deceased is present in the wind, in the rain, in the stars. And while I may have some theological quibbles with these details, I struggle most with the last lines of the poem, when the narrator says, Do not stand at my grave and cry. I am not there. I did not die. Now, while I think I understand the pastoral impulse behind this conclusion, it's hard for me to imagine a more insensitive or even offensive thing to say to someone who is grieving. Namely, this person whom you love, this person who is no longer part of your life, did not really die. This emptiness that you feel, this loss you are trying to make sense of, this unease that now permeates the entirety of your being, there's no good reason for any of it. Death is just an illusion, this poem seems to suggest, and we should behave accordingly, denying our grief and pretending that everything is fine. Of course, one of the main reasons I have an issue with this poem is that it is so antithetical to the way Jesus responds to the death of his friend Lazarus. As any Sunday school student can tell you, Jesus wept when he arrived at Bethany. Confronted with the loss of his friend and the immensity of the sorrow that surrounds him, Jesus expresses his grief in the most human way imaginable. He stands at the grave of his friend and weeps. And this is not an insignificant detail, despite the brevity of the verse, because it is grief that leads to the truly miraculous and transforming moment in this story. Jesus was motivated to come to Bethany because of his grief, but his purpose was not primarily pastoral. Indeed, before he makes his way to Bethany, Jesus announces that Lazarus' death is for God's glory. The grief that Jesus experiences, in other words, 
inspires him to proclaim something essential about the nature of God. And this is evinced in his interaction with both Martha and Mary. Both women confront Jesus with a bitter accusation. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. These words are both an indictment and a confession. The sisters accuse Jesus of not caring for Lazarus, even as they confess their despair at the loss of their brother. And there is something deeply human about this response. It's not even clear that they think Jesus would have been able to heal heal Lazarus. You should have been here is one of those universal human responses to tragedy. It is one of the ways we express our deep fear that we are alone in an uncaring universe. And yet immediately after she accuses Jesus of not caring for her or her brother, Martha avers, but even now, I know that God will give you whatever you ask of him. There's a startling lack of specificity to this statement. Martha does not say, I am confident you will raise my brother from the dead. Nor does she say, I understand it was Lazarus's time to go. Instead, Martha places all her hope in God without fully understanding how that will play out. It's the same faith that motivates the prophet Ezekiel, who when asked whether a valley full of dry bones can live, says only, O Lord God, you know. It's the same faith that motivates the psalmist who says, I wait for the Lord, my soul waits for him in his word is my hope. Even as everything falls apart around her, Martha is able to trust that her path forward begins and ends with God. And Jesus responds in kind. Notice that Jesus does not say, your brother did not die. Or, Why are you putting this on me? Instead, Jesus proclaims, I am the resurrection and the life. And when Jesus makes this proclamation, he is not denying the reality of death, nor is he dismissing the grief of those weeping by the grave of Lazarus. Rather, Jesus is insisting that For all its terrors and all its apparent finality, death presents an opportunity for God to act. Death presents an opportunity for God to act. And believing this requires a mature confidence in God's grace. It requires us to adopt a faith that avoids cliché, a faith that acknowledges reality. 
Indeed, by calling Lazarus out of the tomb, Jesus invites us to acknowledge and embrace a reality rooted not in the empty promises of the world, but in God. I have presided at a fair number of funerals in my decade or so of ministry. And I've mentioned this before, but I think the most important characteristic a funeral can have is that it is honest. On one level, we must be honest about the person who has died. There's no point in pretending that an inveterate misanthrope was a delight to be around. (laughs) Indeed, being honest about how a person inhabited the world helps us to discern how the gospel of redemption was operative in their life. But on a deeper level, Funerals must be honest about the situation. There is a pastor and theologian who observes that there are two preachers at every funeral. The person presiding at the service and big D, death. Death is present at every funeral, whether we like it or not. Whether we pretend that the person is in the other room or not. And death is bluntly and insistently proclaiming its message, which is always the same. Just as I came for this person you love, I'm also coming for you. I am getting ready to separate you from everyone and everything you have ever loved, and there is nothing you can do about it. It's a compelling and a terrifying message. One that cannot be countered by pretending that death doesn't exist. But fortunately, blessedly, there is another preacher at the funeral. One who is equipped with a far more powerful message. That death for all its self-confidence and all its impudence, that death has been and will be defeated through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Moreover, we who have been baptized into the death of Jesus Christ will share in Christ's victory over death. The promise of the resurrection is this, that the love we have for each other will endure, not because death is an illusion, but because death has been defeated by the God who raised Jesus Christ from the dead. At the end of every funeral in the Episcopal Church, the congregation sings or recites an ancient anthem. And I can think of nothing that more fully or succinctly embodies the Christian understanding of death. All we go down to the dust, yet even at the grave, we make our song. Even at the grave, we make our song. And our singing is not a denial 
of death or a dismissal of grief. Our singing is a proclamation of what God has done in Jesus Christ and what God has promised to do for each and every one of us. Like Jesus, at the grave of his friend, our call when we are confronted with death is to grieve and then to proclaim. To proclaim that death has been defeated and that love will endure all things.